Good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and first up we have to welcome back into the studio Millie Ross. Good morning, Millie. Morning, Pam. Morning, everybody. It is a lovely morning out there. It's beautiful. It's going to be a nice couple of days, I think, and then a bit more rain. Till Wednesday, yep. Yeah, I mean, gosh, what a winter. It's was, been amazing. Yeah, I was up uh, Rushworth yesterday and, um, and uh, you know, the bush is very vibrant. If, you, if, you've, if you've been thinking about a trip out bush, out to the desert, I think the Birdsville races are on next weekend. And I always <laughs> look at that and think, oh, that'd be, I'd love that'd be to a, go to a that. road trip and a half. It but, would, wouldn't it? Um, it's going to be a big season for, for orchids, for wildflowers. You know, mm. start planning your trip to the Grampians, I think. Mm. Um, it's, it's been a, a wet, wet winter. And, you know, that means there's probably going to be a lot happening in spring. Absolutely. Mm. We also have to say a very good morning to John Arnott, of course, who's Manager of Horticulture down at Cranbourne. Good morning, John. Morning, Pam, and morning, listeners. G'day, Millie. Exciting down the gardens, I'm sure, with... Well, you, you have water. You have too much water often we, down we there, do don't have, you? We do have too much. <laughs> we, we're gardening in these clayey, fatty, water-attentive sands. Mm. Um, mm. And it has been a, a wet winter. Um, you know, it's not. It, it's funny. It's it hasn't been a cold winter. It's felt awfully cold, mm. awfully cold, and awfully wet. But just in terms of um, you know mean average temperatures, um, it's actually been quite a warm winter. Yes, because we haven't had those really really cold frosty mornings day upon day upon day upon day. You know, we've been getting down to eight and nine overnight rather than three and four overnight. So really, so it's actually not been that cold. Oh, wow, well, isn't that funny? You're it's not the, talking the old about feels like. No, no, it's the old feels it's the, like. It feels like it's, that's right because <laughs> what we've had is we've had this incessant north northwesterly breeze. Yes, um, for months and months and months and months, and you know, a fair bit of rain. Mm. Um, so, I actually yelled at that breeze last night. Did I was. You, I went for yeah. a walk at about four o'clock. I thought, hang on, it's not this cold. Go away. Yeah, and I, and I, I thought, are you coming from the north? No, you're coming from the west? No, you're coming from the northwest. And mm, it yep. was exactly that because normally when I think about a north wind, I think about it being hot. You know, it's coming off the interior. Sure. And usually in summer, that's when we get those really stinking hot days. Exactly. Is that's that right. hot north wind. Yep. But, uh, but prevailing all winter <laughs> out off, off, the, off the inland. and it's just, yeah. So it's felt really cold. Agree completely about you know the the it's been you know at or above average rainfall, um, so the resources the resources at, at above, r- average is is above average. Really yeah, that, well it's that's the new, right. It's, it's the, the new black, it's, isn't it? It's yeah, the new above average right. to, to be average. So the water resources available for for things in the bush are um, you know it's it's it is going to be a cracking year for mm. for things in the bush and an awesome year for native plants in gardens. Oh yeah, the Australian garden at the moment it's um, that kind of late winter early spring I think is just the right time to get into into I mean lots of gardens lots of things. Native and non-native flowering, but the, in the native garden at the moment, it, it is particularly fl- floriferous, um, alongside a whole heap of old-fashioned things which are flowering in, in, in gardens. You know, the camellias, the rhododendrons, the magnolias, uriops, you know, mm. um, daffodils. It's just such a great time, early, early, early spring. Terrific time to be in the garden. Absolutely, yeah. yes. And you know, native gardens certainly. So you know, there's grevilleas doing their thing, and banksias and the Australian garden's looking really, really good at the moment. Fantastic. Yeah, just in terms of the um, the amount of things which are either in flower or about to pop. 
about to pop. We did a walkthrough actually uh, last weekend, and we were trying to estimate what would be popping on on a date. Right, you know, in a few okay. weeks, and uh, right. it's such a fun game. I've taken a whole lot of photos right. of things that weren't labelled to ask you about. Okay, oh, cool. <laughs> but, it's, the, um, it's the email from Millie saying, "Could you ID this one?" I'll show you my phone. I yeah, said yeah, to okay. my colleague, "I'll just ask John on Sunday." Yeah. But um, look, there were so many things. I mean, things that people don't really plant much. But yesterday, mm. I grabbed one. I was up at the Goldfields Revegetation Nursery outside oh, of Bendigo there, right, and. Yes. Um, um, and uh, and uh, I spotted this Tamasia, I think it's purpurea, nice. which I think is flowering in the garden, but Jeez. we couldn't find a si- sign on it. So okay. we were looking at it going, what is it? And then I saw this little tube and I said, I bet you're the one. So, That's um, it. You know, lovely group of plants oh, and the foliage on them too. Just beautiful. Just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. That whole group of – it used to be Sterculiaceae, but now it's a, you know, it's a tribe of Malvaceae, so the botanists have got in there. And, ah, but that, so related that, to all the hibiscus and, and yeah, those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rolingias and Sterculias and lazy. Petalums and and there's a, a fantastic one. Is it Tamasia cylandra? Some uh, the Solanaceae. Solanaceae yeah. that's actually got that lovely little oak shaped leaf yeah. again. Just uh, and that's Quercifolia possibly. Ah, that's what I thought it was, and yeah. then we saw the sign. But so again, you know, really, really. Terrific so much growth. going on in that plant, like really lovely tip growth, coppery colours, yep. furry leaf, fantastic mass of really lush foliage. I mean, yeah. that thing would hedge up. Just absolutely brilliant. Really nice look, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a ter- terrific and completely underrepresented um, group. Mm. Um, uh, and, and isn't it a shame that you need to go to – well, it's not a shame. It's it's terrific that you can go to a botanic garden and see a group of plants and, and – what the, the, I think the next step, and one of our one of our challenges as a garden is to make that stuff accessible. Yes, um, because you know you don't want to go into a garden and it's just full of these things which are inaccessible, and that possibly is the case in some cases. Yeah, things you can't uh, find. Things you can't or, find. Yeah. Things yes, you yeah. couldn't possibly have the prospect or of getting grow. or growing or growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that right. Is the other thing. But that's where those specialist indigenous nurseries um, come into their own. Not. You know, like Oldfields Nursery, mm. it's probably diversified a little bit now. Marion's finished. Mm. Um, Marilyn. Oh, sorry, Marilyn Sprague. Sprague. Yeah. Yes. Quite some years ago now, Quite five or six years ago. But yeah. still a cracking nursery. Fantastic nursery. Yeah. And, you know, just um, – and he – you know, Ash said it had been a really good year for him. He was running out of stock. You know, he felt there was a really big interest. And also, I guess, this wet winter, people are thinking, well, I'll get planting now. I'll get gardening, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, but uh, certainly some – I mean, it's very hard. I was trying to be very, very disciplined because I have just <laughs> taken on a new garden. I've got fences to fix right. and some yeah. plumbing to do before yeah. I can really get stuck into it. But, of course – yeah, I'll just have an acacia ray filler. That, I mean, why do. not? Because where else do you get them in tube stock? Exactly. You know, yeah. so, um, yeah, so I did leave with a couple more things <laughs> that I planned on. Look, he had the best batch of um, uh, a plant that I haven't put in a garden for a long time, but I used it in a garden in, in, in Footscray, which right. it, it just flowered its head off, was um, the, the local nicotine, the Nicotiana suaviola. Oh, what a thing. Uh, what, a, mm. what a plant. I yeah. mean, this plant, if you put this plant in the shishiest nursery in, you know, in the eastern suburbs, in an eight-inch pot and yep. flower, you would they would fly out the door, and I, I reckon it held a flower spike yep. for eighteen months. Yep. And um, you know, lovely, tall, sort of you know, white nicotine flowers, mm. um, and, a, and a local plant. You know, local so plant, tough as anything, tough as anything. So yeah. I'd never seen such a, and I thought if I come back, they'll be gone, or you know. So I thought I can throw some of those in a pot. Little Hibertia I've never grown before. I've got a bit of a thing for them. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. They're pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are pretty so, nice. You know, you'll yeah. see them in the bogs of, on, you know, walking between Cradle Mountain and Lake Sinclair. You yep. see them there. Yes. You see them on the coast in WA. Yeah. You see them everywhere. Yeah, and they're just that distinct 
clear yellow flower of whatever size. But, now, um, now that would be a great collection, wouldn't it, for, a, oh. for a, one of the regional botanic gardens just to establish a collection of Hibertia? Oh, yes. Because they're so... Um, well, there's so, so diverse and, and so varied and, you know, extraordinary. I oh, know there's – you think about the, you know, the East Coast Hibertia Scandons, you know, completely different to some of the little ones that you would see in the West. The little shrubby, the little shrubby, shrubby forms. Units, and yeah. and, um, and I, I, I'm kicking myself that I didn't look at the tag this morning because I don't even know what it is, to tell you the truth. I'll have to look again. But it's got a little sort of almost a – scalloped sort of leaf uh, that's okay. got quite a burgundy hue to it. It wasn't one I'd seen before because okay. I've grown Hibertia denticulata, which okay. has got a lovely almost burgundy uh, foliage, which is... is uh, big, big flower? Big flower. But this is this is going to be a smaller thing, okay. I think. So right. I'll, I'll okay. work out what it is. But, you know, amazingly, this plant, I've tried to grow Hibertia denticulata a few times and not had that much success. It needs okay. a bit of shelter, I think. It's a bit of an understory plant. Sure. I walk onto my, my friend's brand new block in a place called Mullymook, which is about three hours south of Sydney. Yeah. They've bought... So, you know, it's a holiday town. It's growing. And they've bought the only sort of residential block in the town that's still got trees on it. Okay. So all the rest are Kaikuyu, you know, flat Kaikuyu holiday town blocks. Sure. And we walk onto this block because she says, oh, I better get down there and whippersnip the block while we're here. And I start walking around going, start oh, there's Cl- Clematis aristata. Um, that's a, you know, there's, there's Dicopogons on there. There's all this stuff. But there was this Hibertia. Hibertia and I was right. like, this is a plant that I've coveted forever. <laughs> and it's growing on your residential block. So, uh, you know, it's, it's such, a, such a great group of plants. Maybe I'll do the collection, eh? Yeah, yeah, that'd be, good. That'd be really good. That'd be really and, I'll and, buy a block. But isn't, isn't it seeing plants in the wild, just, it just... It, it closes. It, it is magical because it just closes off all sorts of loops. You know, I've seen because now you've got a sense of where this thing naturally occurs, what sort of soil it in, what the conditions it'll take. And this was extraordinary because this whole town has been developed. So yeah. in, it's developed on either side. There's palm trees and brick up two stories. Yeah. It's quite a large block. There's a couple of iron barks on it and a few other trees that I, I didn't establish. There's probably seven quite large gums still on this this one block. One block, yeah, and. It's covered in native things. And my friend, she's a fantastic horticulturist, but she's always been more um, involved in amenity horticulture. Okay, and, maybe the exotic flora of that. Yeah, of the and so I'm sort of going, That's a, you know, and she's she's looking at going, wow, I would have whippersnipped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, her, and she's looking at me eyeballing because her partner's starting to go, oh, we should keep this, we should keep that. I'm, like, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but I have to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds You've like got, got the a... only remnant <laughs> vegetation in the whole of Molly Mook, right? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure, but we could build an amazing garden <laughs> yeah, with what you've got here. Let's start exactly. propagating. <laughs> oh, that's oh, good gorgeous. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to get straight to some community announcements because um, as we get closer and closer to spring, in fact, it's on our doorsteps, of course, we've got all the gardening clubs really starting up again with spring shows. First up today is the last day of the big orchid show and sale down at uh, KCC Park in Sky. Uh, now, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's opening 9am this morning, running through until 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, the actual venue, venue is the Box Hall Pavilion at KCC Park. Now, the address is 655 Western Port Highway in Sky. Entry, adults $10, concession $9, children under 15 are free. There's over 20 local and international vendors selling orchids, bromeliads and succulents. They've also got books and accessories. I've heard this is the biggest one they've had yet and this is their 23rd annual Melbourne Orchid Spectacular. So that's uh, if you haven't planned anything to do today, 
maybe take a trip down to Skye. Now, uh, also, today is the second day of uh, the launch of the Open Gardens Victoria Garden, and they're at um, Attila and Michelle Capitani's garden out in Narry Warren. Now, this is, if you've never been out to this garden, it's an incredible garden full of succulents, um, which I will say succulents loosely. I don't know. (laughs) Last I heard, there was just. Well, there's no room for a house no now. No house, just built the garden. Yes, they bought the land, started gardening, couldn't stop. It is <laughs> it is quite extraordinary and you won't see anything like it. And one of the things that Attila always kind of really tries to tell people that as we think about succulents as, you know, sun-loving, drought-tolerant plants, yep. but actually a huge range of the species will be flowering now. You think of your aloes, your kalanchoes. Yep. Um, you know, they make hay while the sun shines sort of thing. Indeed. Or the inverse of it, they make flowers while the rain falls. Yep. Yes. And and so actually his succulent garden looks at its best in spring, like other, you know, late winter spring. And there, there's amazing things there. They're extraordinary. Uh, I mean, and it talks to the uh, the fact that it's, it's really interesting in the evolutionary terms why we have so few um, succulent plants in the Australian flora compared to South Africa and South America and places like that where the, the not the majority well in, in South American deserts the majority of the things are uh, succulents they're cacti we don't have any any cacti in, in the Australian flora mm. I think about 20% of the South African flora the Cape flora is succulent mm. and I think it's about 3% of the Australian flora is succulent wow, that's quite so, an so such a little number I mean for a dry continent for a dry continent it's, it's incredible yeah. you'd think the plants would have had to evolve this way it, it, that's right so our flora in response to um, arid conditions evolved in a very different way very yeah. so it became annual or became tuberous um uh, wiry scleriferous, so mm. you know that those sort of really wiry. Well, I've got some apacrisy and you know tiny little leaves that don't expire very much and trans- transpire very much. Yes. So the strategy was very very different, not to not to store it when it's available, and the theory is, but because our, our rainfall is so sporadic and um, uh, succulents actually require regular rehydration. Ah. So they can't go years and years and years and years without water right. because they would die. So, so it's about the intervals of rain in Australia being so variable and so you know, widespread, mm. whereas the other arid floors are a little bit more regular in, in where so they, they flower. So they swell, they survive, swell, they swell, they survive. Exactly, mm. but they require those that you know, regularly yeah, – and the intervals might be 18 months or yeah, <clears> sure. something like that, but we can go years, years. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. without that's right. you know, any, any mm. rainfall. So that's the theory okay. as to why we have a paucity of, um, of succulents in the Australian flora. The ones that we've got and the ones that Attila are growing, they're gorgeous things. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, he's interested in this uh, Australian succulent he plants is. as well. And, oh, indeed. And he defines that in different ways, you know. I, he I remember does. The first time I, I visited that garden, he – he pulled up a seedling of uh, brachychite and rupestris, right. right, with its it was just a bottle tree, yeah. with its swollen root, and he turned it upside down, and he peeled the root, and he cut a piece off and went, eat that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he – and I said, oh, okay. So it was really lovely. It was like a radish without any any pepper in it. And yeah. then he just threw it on the ground and said, oh, I'll replant that later. Yeah. You know, and he, he treats that as a succulent plant because it has this ability to, <laughs> to, to It's to the store. water retention. Yes. Same yes. thing with some of the Australian, you know, the calendrinias Cal- yeah, and, and things like yeah. so, you know, the, yep. these sorts of things. So he's yeah. got a, an amazing collection of plants yeah. and, mm. and yeah. passion, yeah, mm. absolutely. I'm, so I think his definition of succulents is that – 
um, storing water, but mm. I, I think you say, you know, operate independently of a root system for an extended period and not die. Yes. Right. <laughs> no, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all those um, uh, brachycotons and things like that, they'll store water and as starchy tissue in, the tu- in, the, in their trunks. Mm. Um, so, yeah, go so and have a look at it. So would probably argue that that 3% is, is, is probably a little bit higher, but we've only got the one species of stem succulent, and that's sarcostemma. Great so, plant. Caustic bush. C- caustic bush, yeah. I think that's a very beautiful ornamental plant. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant thing. In the Pot- bush, maybe not as ornamental because no, it's sort yeah. of just scrambly stems. But, yeah, um, but gorgeous thing. Yeah. Um, hard to buy. Hard to buy. Want one. Yeah. If you see one. <laughs> and, and, and toxic as all get out. Yes. Like yes. really, really but it's got a, it's almost like a, you know, Ripsalis is such a popular yeah, plant at the yeah. moment. And some of the euphorbias. It's got, it's almost it's got, like a hybrid, that sort of scandent, sort of yeah. sticky, twiggy um, sort of stemmed form. Yeah. But just fantastic in an urn or, yeah, a, yeah. yeah out of the reach of the kids. Yeah, <laughs> out of the reach. We we had one at the at the gardens, but had to pull it just because of the, just because where we had it was just too close to where kids might yes, be able right. to touch it, and it's the sap's really quite nasty. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, it's interesting. Succulents so right. it's the hop that's and Attila is just all over it. And, yeah. Oh, you know, totally. He's the man. <laughs> Okay, so uh, as well as the open garden, there'll be guided tours, there'll be talks about, uh, there'll be plants, seeds, books for sale. Now, the address is 1, the Low or the Loch Court, which is spelt L-O-U-G-H, Court in Warren North. Now, it's open from 10 through to 4.30 today. Entry is $8, children under 18 are free, and students are $5. Now, also... um, Open Gardens Victoria, on the 1st of September, are going to be running um, a bus, a coach tour of four Mount Macedon Gardens. Now, they're four historically and botanically significant gardens, uh, Durrell, Glenranic, um, Ard Rudar and Teve Tara. And then uh, at the end of the tour, they're uh, going to take you to, um, to Stephen Ryan's uh, nursery, um, as well as that. Now, the ticket price is $195, but that includes return transport from Federation Square, uh, morning tea, lunch, and an afternoon drink. And I've been told by Stephen that that afternoon drink will be bubbles in his nursery. So there you go. Very good. Now, you do need to book online. Uh, you go to www.opengardensvictoria, all one word, .org.au. So that's 1st of September. Now, also coming up uh, next weekend, Saturday the 3rd of September, Sunday the 4th of September, is uh, the Fernie Creek Spring Show. This is always a great, great show. And, of course, their garden will be looking absolutely fabulous at the moment. Uh, Their address is 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras. Melway's reference there is 66E12. Now, on the Saturday, 12 noon till 4, on the Sunday, 10 a.m. till 4, there'll be uh, officially judged flower displays, there'll be guided walks of the 10-acre garden, sale of collectible plants at reasonable prices, vendors' plants for sale, refreshments, light lunches, sausage sizzle, Devonshire teas, ample free parking, parking and entry is $5 per person. Children under 14 are free. Also uh, coming up, um, which is also, uh, let me see, that next uh, next weekend, 
And you know all about this. Millie Kyneton, um have got their spring flower show. I think what I said was I don't know anything <clears throat> about this, oh. but I did bring the pamphlet. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I know that the, the Daffodil and Arts <clears throat> Festival fires up um, – over the over the coming week, and there's lots of events um, and lots of open gardens. Actually, I was chatting to someone from the community garden there. Okay, um, and they've got a whole lot of really good productive gardens open this year, as well as um, lots of you know historic gardens. Uh, you know, it's a it's a town full of gardeners, really. And I uh, I was chatting to the mother of the Daffodil Princess the other day. Oh, ah, princess, who's, who's lived grown up in Kyneton. Now I shouldn't say this at her. She said it's like Groundhog Day for me because I grew up here, <laughs> and now I'm now I'm getting fitted for uh, getting fitted for the outfit for my daughter and getting her list of engagements. Um, so she, she's the official, the official princess for the year? Right. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it is, it's been around for something like 48 years. You really? know, it's, it's been wow. operating that long. And this year there's a dog dash. Anyone who can hear that strange little noise in the background in the studio, <laughs> and it's, it's my dog on the ground eating a chewy. Being very good. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a dog dash. There's all sorts of things. I know that um, certain people from 3CR, I think, might even be involved in the botanic garden there that's going through a lot of change, mm. having some trees yes. removed. They're going to be there um, giving information about that. So okay. definitely hop online and, and have a look. It runs over two weekends, so um, third and the fourth, and then I think the actual parade is on the 11th, um, okay. that following weekend. But there's events going on right through the right area through. Yeah, yep. Over, yep. The, over the weeks. Fantastic. It is, it is a gardening town, isn't it? Oh, well, yes. I, you know, really I, I, look, despite their frost, I mean, they garden under extreme <laughs> Do I have to reveal that I've actually moved to Kyneton? I probably do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's my new town and I um, I have been peering over. You've over. actually left the western suburbs. I had to. Really? Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've made a move just for, for the fun of it. And, um, yes, lots of Ibernum tinus <laughs> is what I'm seeing. But, yeah. And certainly, um, you know, that was something I thought I could talk about. And succulent plants too. I've been doing a lot of research to see. I've already melted quite a few things just in the you know when you're moving and you're dumping things and yeah. you're coming back down and yep um you know there was a begonia that i i forgot and you know it it melted um and a few <laughs> other things and a lot of things have come inside um into okay. a little sunny nook but uh yeah certainly a gardening town mm. and um and people just you know a, a very harsh climate so um ash from reveg said it's just like canberra he reckons it's exactly okay. the same as canberra i've been watching canberra's weather i think it's a bit different mm. um i think we're a lot wetter mm. um for one and a bit probably yeah not quite as cold yeah not quite as cold or yeah. different cold, different cold. it's that same um, thing different yeah, cold but um yeah, yeah just gray a, cold just a, a yeah really good gardening town and i think the festival be lots of fun yeah mm. and it's one of the botanic gardens in victoria which is actually expanding back into its former range um, because there was the caravan park that was That's next right. to the garden, which was yes. an incursion into the yep. into the garden, and that's the caravan park is now no longer. Yes. And uh, it's so that that estate is being managed as a much bigger um, uh, botanic garden, which is – isn't it lovely that we have botanic gardens which are expanding, oh, it's not fantastic. contracting? Yeah, yep. and I mean so many people moving to the area, just you know that they're going to utilise that asset for, for the future so well. For sure. And, and I mean it is right on the river there. It's beautiful. Um, you know, it's, it's great, but there's a lot of trees coming down at the moment and um, and so they're going through a, you know a period of, of really assessing and replacing species that are senescent so um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how it develops and how the town kind of gets involved I suppose it's uh, you know tree removal and you know the, the sort of the, the I don't know the the radar goes up and you know sort of like mm. a warning yes. warning warning but yes. it, it's uh, yeah it, it is actually a really important element of, of managing a, bot- a botanic garden is to ensure the, the Melbourne Gardens have, have uh, released a, a month or so ago their landscape succession plan, 
um, and they've identified that one of the risks of the, the, the tree population at the Melbourne Gardens is A, they were selected at, you know, a, 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 a hundred years ago or so in a very, very different con- climate. That's right. Uh, but B, there's a whole bunch of things that are, that are the same age, so there's not that diversity of age yes. between things that are really, really old uh, and things that were planted last week and everything in between. Yep. So uh, that kind of builds resilience into into public spaces is to have, you know, different age classes. Mm. Um, and, you know, gardens like the kind con- con- gardens, they've been managed and there's a whole bunch of trees that are becoming senescent at the same time. So, you know, replace, remove and replace mm. makes perfect sense. Yeah. So yeah. it's um, I haven't haven't really hunted down the, the contacts there to, to learn more, but I know I will over, over time. And I had a little look at the master plans. There was a master plan done by Andrew Ladlaw some years ago. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it'll be, be really interesting to see how they go about sort yeah. of implementing it. But, yeah, um, it's a good plan. Yeah, nice to have a botanic gardens within 10 minutes walk of my house. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Really nice. <laughs> okay, there's just one more that I will mention for the moment because the rest are further on, but uh, coming up... On the 10th of September, um, there's going to be a native plant and book sale. Now, this is taking place at Eltham Senior Citizens Centre, which is at 903 Main Road in Eltham. They're going to have a huge range of native and indigenous plants, including short and tall grafts. It's organised by the Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group. And as I say, that's coming up on the 10th of September. Okay, well, it's uh, certainly time we opened up our talkback calls for listeners. If you'd like to join us this morning, we've got uh, John Arnott uh, in from uh, Cranbourne Gardens. We've got Millie Ross, who's researcher for ABC Gardening Australia, in the studio. We'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. Or on the outside line this morning, we have Liz. If you'd like to have a chat to Liz... Nine four one nine eight three double seven. Now we've already had a, a query from the outside line. Uh, Mim from Carnegie wants to know how and when to propagate a garrier. Garrier. Mm. Garrier elliptica. That's mm-hmm. another one of those old fashioned. Pretty specky right now. Yeah, yes, it is very, very specky now. Yeah. Uh, cuttings. Yeah, I just do cuttings. Yeah. Probably in that. You could probably do some. I would probably say it. And this is just a guess, but in like late summer, early autumn cuttings would be my guess yep. um, as most likely the best chance. But having spoken to lots of old nurserymen and lots of old propagators all my life, um, have, it, have a go, a few different methods, a few different bits of wood. Sure. Um, so probably that earlier sort of early summer cutting, um, not as much growth, maybe yep. some, some tip growth with a little bit of firm growth. Yep. And then, um, and then I would take some healed growth where yep. you rip a little branch off the side as yep. well. Give that a go. For sure. And um, yeah, that's what I hear. Try try a few things. Don't just try one thing every year. Try yep. a few things at once, and and you'll have success. So garriers at the moment, they've kind of they're not dormant, or you know they're not you know, as such, but they're the, the growth that they're putting out is into the flower. So putting a lot of energy into the flower. So yeah. the um the the wood itself at the moment would be would be quite woody, but that mm. might be okay. Might be good too. Might be okay. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I would just suggest. Uh, you know, with evergreen, sort of slow evergreen shrubs, you tend to think probably late summer, autumn, quite, you know, firm wood yep. and, and winter too, but they do flower in winter. So yeah. um, there's a lot of energy. And, and if you can find growth that doesn't have a flower on it, that's always a benefit it's too. It's a bonus, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But, um, you know, they'll produce a flush of growth and that flush will firm and it might be good to try it. Like I say, yeah. it's um, 
have a go. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. Stephen's propagated a few Gary in his time. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But a, yeah. a really interesting plant, that, that catkin, that long tassel it's is just... beautiful. Yeah, just a fantastic uh, ornamental plant. I've seen them um, espaliered really beautifully. Yeah, that would so be So often they're, a big, they're quite a big sort of shrub in the garden that yeah. doesn't do a lot. Uh, nice sort of silver green fol- foliage uh, for the year round, but yep. they really don't do a lot. Um, they're not very dynamic, I guess, no. for the rest of the year, but no. when they flower. Yeah, they really, they really do their thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, you don't see them as much as you possibly used to. I, don't, mm. I think it's one of those old-fashioned... Yeah, quite slow-growing, I suppose, slow in growing. some ways. So not, not, a, not a, you know, something that will be up and doing its thing no. um, straight away. But, yeah, but lovely may- Maybe slow and steady wins the race. Yes. Mm. But I think there's a place for slow-growing things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're just talking about senescence and, yep. and things reaching the end of their life. Yep. I, I think there's, you know, lots of room for mixing it up and yeah. things that I, I mean, I used to, when I put in gardens, I'd often use silver beet and rhubarb as fillers until everything got up, you know, and then you just pull them out and, yep. you know, they, they look fantastic, Get you know, really result. colourful yep. and, you know, really fill the gaps mm. until until the more permanent planting started to establish. Yeah, but, nice. yeah certainly any anything, you know. Any any garden needs that diversity of everything, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A good garden is has got the has got diversity. Yes. Yeah, we love diversity on this show. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> John. We have to um, we have to talk a little bit about the big um, kangaroo paw celebration that's coming up down at Cranbourne. It certainly is. It's we're, all it, gearing up, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're going well. It's um, it's the nineteenth and twentieth of November. Um, that's the, 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 the picnic that's weekend. That's the picnic weekend, yep. yes. Uh, and then the symposium's the following the, That's right, week. yeah, yeah. And yep. the symposium is bringing um, folks from all over Australia and beyond. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is uh, – um, the friends are just so, so very good at um, – at, at, Attracting some fantastic speakers on a whole range of different topics, but the friends are really involved in in the kangaroo report. This is their big, this is their big show for for uh, 2016. Oh yes. Um. So you know, lots and lots of planning, lots and lots of um, uh, lots of meetings, and you know, lots of lots of lots of planning. We've we've planted about three thousand kangaroo paws into the Australian garden, which are establishing. Um. We've been. Picking flowers off them to try and get the the, the timing right, so they right. so they'll flower into into November. So we stop picking. Bit yes. untested, isn't it? It's it not is like a bit the untested. No, 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 exactly. No, exactly. What exactly. You, 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 exactly. So we're, we're we're certainly learning along the way. And uh, in one of the challenges we've had with with the display, um, I, I, for, for folks that know the Cranbourne Garden, there's a the, the scribbly gum uh, in the middle of the forest garden. It's a, a really beautiful sculptural scribbly shape on, on the ground plane. Mm. Um, we planted uh, several hundred yellow uh, kangaroo paws in oh, amongst wow. the lamandras, so they'd, they'll pop through. So a little bit like meadow planting. Yes. Um, with the flowering element being the, the kangaroo paws. Okay. But we've got swamp rats and... Um, and the swamp rats have got in there, and, and oh, no. they, they sort of grazed them all down. So oh, we've had no. to protect each. We had we had backstops, so we've got 150 in pots to okay. to plunge later. But it has been a bit of a challenge to get the display up and running with um, with some of the, the the local wildlife. I mean, there's rabbits. Yes, um, and uh, that's always a bit of an lots issue. Of rabbits, like yeah. Lots You've of rabbits. Yeah, you've got a lot of things I noticed were caged. Yep. 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 So okay. we're losing the battle. Well, we're not. We're in, involved in the battle with rabbits at the moment. <laughs> We've declared war on the rabbit, and yep. Um, yep. I think the rabbit is possibly winning at this point. Right. I think the rabbit is possibly going to have some Khaleesi virus again yeah. in September. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. And there's a new strain, which is um, apparently going to be a 
more effective in temperate climates. Oh, I think, really? I think the old strain was pretty good in. It was fine hotter, over hotter in the west, but yeah. yes, yeah. not here. So hotter and drier. So this new strain is is uh, probably better adapted to colder weather. Yep. Okay. Um, so we're hoping that that's going to be pretty efficient. Mm. Okay. We we put in an old fashioned. Um, this is going off topic from the no no that's balls. fine. We put in an old fashioned um, uh, corral uh, rabbit corral. What they were, what the rabbits were doing. If you could picture the north, the um, the, the red sand garden with the north line, um, there were there was all this foot evidence um, traffic right. of, of rabbits going from one side of the red sand garden to the other side of the red sand garden. So we put a little low um, fence in there, and the rabbits hit the fence and then go laterally. And we've we've designed a, a, a corral which is you know about twenty or thirty square meters. Right. The idea is that they can get in, but they can't get out. Ah. So it's an old. It, it is an old um, bushman's technique. Is to okay. kind of corral the rabbits into a, into a place, and then you can deal with them. Then so we're trying. It's a new take. Okay. On a very old bushman's um, technique to. to, to Trap rabbits. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Rabbit stew on the menu <laughs> down stew, in the rabbit cafe. Rabbit stew would be good. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that'd be all right. <clears throat> so rabbit pie. Rabbit pie. So yeah, no, the the the, the plans are going really well for the for the celebration. The program for the symposium looks absolutely fantastic. Some really authoritative. Some um, amazing folks. speakers. Some great You're speakers. one of them, I might add. Uh, yeah, and there's some amazing speakers before that. <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly. Yeah, it's me and some <clears throat> amazing yeah. uh, No, I wouldn't <laughs> put myself in any... In, you are. Uh, well, we're talking Steve Hopper and Kingsley, yes. Kingsley Dixon and, yes. you know, some of the, um, the world... Angus Stewart, of course, Angus who's Stewart, launching his, his new uh, <clears throat> kangaroo paw. Yeah, and Angus is doing a bunch of tours and... Uh, it'll be a cracking weekend, mm. the, the, the the picnic celebration weekend mm. on the um, in in later in November. Yes, um, yep. So yeah, to watch this space, absolutely. I, I think we're going to end up with a fabulous display of kangaroo paws oh, next November. because <laughs> 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 we did we did those three thousand plants they're establishing. So we'll get we'll, we'll certainly have a display. Yep. Um, to support the the this, the celebration this year, but I reckon we're going to have a cracking display next year. Absolutely. Yeah. I should just mention with the. Uh, uh, with the symposium, it's a three-day symposium, and it's been specifically um, geared to a different group of people That's on each right. of the days. Yep. So day one is really geared. It's a science day, it's, basically. It's yep. it's botanical, horticultural, and zoological. Yep. Um, and that one is actually taking place in Melbourne, not at Cranbourne. That's that, in in uh, Domain House in Dallas right. Brooks Drive. Yep. Um, then uh, day two. Uh, and day day two and day three are both down at Cranbourne yep. in the Tarnook room there. But day two is the professional day, yep. or what we call a professional day. So it's your breeding, your marketing, your design, your cultivation. Exactly. Um, yep. And then day three is your home gardener's it's, day. It's about gardening with kangaroo paws. Yes. Which would be uh, for, for, for those. Um, and I think that's the. Um, I think that day will be very, very well patronised. I think the whole thing will be well patronised. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Because it's such a cracking program. But, um, you know, the, 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 the gardener's day, I think, will be a ripper. Yep. It's a great program and oh, congratulations to the friends program. for pulling it together. Absolutely. You know, they're um they are formidable, our friends. They are <laughs> such such a wonderful group they're of people. They're like terriers. They get hold of an idea and they oh. don't let go. Oh yeah. No, they're <laughs> they really they really shake it for all it's worth. We have some forces of nature. We have. <laughs> and the garden. And the garden. <laughs> no, absolutely wonderful. So it's it's really nice to work you know, cheek by jowl with the friends and absolutely. You know, it's a really nice collaboration yep. between the the, the the friends and the gardens. It's great. Now I should say the bookings have already opened. They have. And I do think people if if you're serious about getting along, particularly to uh, the symposiums, you do need to consider booking now. Yep. 
Um, if you'd like to book, um, you can either email symposium at rbgfriendscranburn, all one word, dot org dot au. So that's symposium at rbgfriendscranburn.org.au or you can phone Chloe on 9729-3569. That's 9725, I'll read that again, 9725-3569. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Yep. It's going to be great fun. Yep. yep. HMA are all coming down for the Saturday for Angus's launch Perfect. and uh, to the picnic and there's going to be so much going on even at the, the picnic, the two-day picnic. We're very excited about it all. Good. So yep. HMA are coming down, that's yes, right, for, yes. for their – is it an annual picnic? Ah, uh, Well, it, it may turn out to be, but right. we're, we're just having a big picnic day. Right. We're going to be involved in um, all sorts of uh, – the friends have been organising a full day of events for us, Fabulous. and it's going to be wonderful, Fabulous. really wonderful. Good. Looking forward to it. Yes, yeah, so yeah. are we. Yeah. And I believe your son's playing. Uh, that's right, and I might even be having a little bit of a hit myself. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, right. So, well, that's something to look forward to. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an occasional mandolin player. Okay, I'm a project player. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's a project player? You just do it when someone asks yeah, you to organise yeah, yeah, yourself yeah. and practice. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah I've done yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I don't have a, a, a project, I don't, better I, under I, pressure. Yeah, but, but that's right. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, a bit of a blue, the, the, a, a rambling bluegrass band. Okay, oh, which would be um, be good fun. Australian bluegrass. Fantastic. Yeah, no, Brilliant. Yeah, good fun. Okay. All right, we'll go to our first caller and we have Sue out in Ringwood. Good morning, Sue. Hello, and thank you for taking my call. I have several questions. I hope you can answer them all. I brought a jacaranda that I think was left overstock. It's about two metres high. The, the, the diameter of the trunk is about... Uh, 60, 60, 70 millimetres. It's not had a good life. Um, when, I, when I bought it home, some of the very weak fronds have already dropped off. It hasn't arched terribly well at all. My question is this. Actually, where the small ones dropped off, you can see the cambium layer underneath. Mm-hmm. It's not, they've just fall, fallen off. I haven't, torn the, I haven't torn the fabric off the bark. How do I prune this back before I put it into the ground? Or do I prune it back? So is it, um, it's in a pot, yeah? Yes, it's in a fairly big pot, but I'd say it's been sadly neglected for quite a long time. It's quite a sturdy, big tree. Mm. And I'm desperate to get it in the ground. Okay. Well, with something that big in a, in a pot, the, the, one of the concerns is that the, you start to have some root girdling. So I think it's about having a good look at that root system when you plant. And probably now's not a bad time to, to get it I into the ground. I would prune the roots. I would definitely prune the roots. Uh, and I'm happy to splay them out and plant them accordingly and soak it in sea salt. I'll drown it in sea salt if I have to. <laughs> but it's really, about, it's really about the top of it because I was always told that You've got to be really careful the way you 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 can't cut a jacaranda branch. You've got to take it right back to to the right back to the main stem, or else you'll spoil the shape. They certainly don't yeah. like to be pruned no. much, but 
Um, and look, you mentioned that the fronds were falling off. Some, you know, this time of the year, that's that's what'll happen. They'll hold them, yeah. but they're protecting that new growth, aren't they? So yeah. if they come off, that's fine. If if the tree looks like it's got a reasonable shape, I wouldn't be afraid to uh, to plant no, it. it but doesn't have a, it doesn't have a reasonable shape at all. I think part of the neglect is it's been left in one position, so whatever branches are there, and they're very puny branches, are all out to one side. Oh. Okay. So, um, yeah, look, I've seen people prune jack- jacarandas, young ones, um, because they like to thicken them up, and what you end up with is just one mm. one shoot. Um, so you, I don't think you can go back into the stem and, and create a bushy plant necessarily. Do you have to plant this no, plant, no, no, Sue? Can I you put it in the compost and get a get a nice, young, healthy, happy tree? No. Okay. <laughs> well, then, I mean, I think... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. You mean chop... Could I chop the whole top off? No, no, no. no. Could you... <clears throat> Look, I, I guess the question we're asking is if it's if it's that misshapen and it's been in the pot a long time and you're likely going to have a poor root system, then there's a lot of little ticks that are saying this is a never going to grow into being a great, a great tree. tree. It, it could be a I battle want, forever. I want to give it a chance. And okay. I want, okay. To, I want it to arch out. At the moment, it hasn't arched out at all. Yep. yep. Look, I'd have a go. Yeah. Look, that, <laughs> uh, that that would be the advice, and, yeah. and now's a really good time to do that planting. Um, okay. the, the the sort of the 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 best practice tree establishment would would be to plant, uh, a, you know, really high quality tree with a good root system. Um, and you know that gives you a really good chance of getting a, a terrific tree into the future. Uh. I, you you might want to hedge your bets and get a little one as well. Mm. Um, okay. And, and right. it would be interesting to, to to make the comparison between the performance of the the old gnarly one and and mm. and the new fresh one. And I I guess the thing I would know from my days in nursery time uh, is that they never look great in a pot. No. It's rare that you get a jacaranda that's True. bigger True. than bigger than that yeah. sort of first three feet um, that looks it doesn't look like many of the other sort of deciduous ornamental trees that you might buy that are quite well shaped as potted specimens so yeah they they often just look like one little bendy stick and um they They (laughs) They don't yeah they don't look as promising as they no doubt are okay thanks thanks for that on to my second question you still up for it yeah yes okay I have a big Tahitian lime still in the pot that somebody gave me. It's about mm, one and a half metres. I want to espalier. I have two questions. Mm-hmm. I've already lost three citrus to the dreaded gall wasp. I, one is, if I espalier, well, I've already put the post in, do you run the wires hor- horizontal or at an 45-degree angles where they cross over in the middle following the actual line of the branches. Second question on the same topic. When I cut off them off at the base to encourage the lateral growth, do I have to seal those with something? Third question. This is a this is a dinger of a question. A dinger? A dinger. I've got a self-sown gum tree in the front that I actually love. It's very attractive. Something's eating it. I cut off the affected bits and chucked them in the bin and then the bin was crawling with caterpillars. So I thought, okay. And they weren't psyllids, they were caterpillars. So I thought, I've got some confidor tablets that somebody gave me and I've never used them before. And somebody said, if you stick them in a couple in the ground, it's a systemic Mm. 
killer mm. and whatever's on that gum tree that I've tried to kill and I can't, the confidor would knock them off. On the same principle, if it could I, would I, should I, could I whack a couple around the base? Well, this, not for a uh, I'm going to I'm going to stop you there, Sue, because there's lots of questions and we need to work our way backwards. But I'm going to say straight away, confidor is for um, sucking insects and piercing insects, yep. not for chewers, which your caterpillar is. So absolutely, you've got to treat. The problem that you have, so not all insecticides Can't will. Find it. Actually, so I've been out there with the torch. Ah, so it is skeletonizing all the leaves. So it definitely so sounds a, like it's a chewer. It's a chewer. Yeah. yeah. So so the confidor wouldn't work, um, but you know you might find just something like a, a horticultural oil spray applied over the foliage, yep. um, or even one of the insecticidal soaps. They're all um, reasonable for caterpillars. That's good. Um, they they would be the sort of thing that if you if you're just generally trying to sort of knock something down a little. Little bit okay. to give the tree a chance to take off. Okay, well, Much you. better if to I, use than than if something. If I want to stop any possible gall wasp attack, because I've lost three citruses to gall wasp, I want to put this Tahitian in the ground. I want to espalier it. I don't know whether to espalier it, the wires horizontal or on an angle. But could I put a couple of confidor tablets? around that tree to stop any gall wasps. No. no. Again, Comfortor tablets are not a cure-all. And to be honest, I think the three of us in this studio would be very unlikely to push them into the pot yes. of anything. I wouldn't. Um, okay. Because they are systemic and they translocate then through the plant and then anything that taps into that plant's going to get knocked um, as far as a sucking insect goes. And not all sucking insects are bad. Mm. No, that's right. <laughs> Some exactly. of them just need a feed and then they can continue doing their good work. So... Um, with regard to the gall wasp, it's really, really unusual that a tree would be killed by gall wasp. So it sounds to me as if you're probably having less than perfect health citrus trees, Sue, and yep. then, you know, the gall wasp is on top of that a problem. So okay. key is to make sure that you put the citrus into a really well-prepared spot. It needs to be pretty fertile, really well-drained. You yep. need to keep it... Keep it moist, you know, make sure that you're keeping it moist through the hot weather. Citrus have got really sort of shallow root systems. Fibrousy. Yeah. Yes, really fibrous, shallow root yeah. systems. Yeah. So good amount of mulch, not around the collar of the tree. Um, yeah. And, you know, nice sunny spot. And if you, you want to check for your gall wasp, do that right about now um, or even a little bit earlier. So okay. July, August, prune out any affected growth. Yeah. And, but and if you haven't done it already, do it now. Do it. Oh, sure, Because sure. they're about to, to hatch out. But do you, it this afternoon. Got, yeah, you've yep. got your new tree. So Yeah, so, okay. so they would be the key things. Um, and then... You know, uh, with regard to the espalier, it doesn't matter if you've got horizontal or... or I mean, okay. citrus espalier don't tend to be as formal as an apple tree or mm. something because they've got a lot... You want quite a lot of sort of nice tip growth for flowers. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really matter what your wire structure is because your, your tree will probably end up not as a, 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 a you know, a flat... Framework ladder shaped. Yeah, yeah, it won't be ladder shaped. It'll yeah. be a bit more of a sort of fan of foliage just held back. So it doesn't really matter at all how you do the wires, as long as you can sort of fasten the branches at different points. Yep. So yeah. angles are okay. Yeah. Thank you. You have been a great help. Okay. Good luck with no it. No worries. And with um, respect to uh, ceiling cuts, uh, generally, generally we don't, don't do that. We don't do that. There, there was a period of a boricultural practice a, a good few years ago now that said, you know, you should seal a wound, but. Um, uh, modern, the plants do it better. The plants do it better. <laughs> the plants do it better than anything that we can apply. Yeah. You've been wonderfully helpful. Thank you. Okay. Good luck. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Next up we have uh, Julie in Hawthorne. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Look, I have a problem with Phytophthora, and I'm wondering 
uh, if you could recommend any Phytophthora uh, resistant plants, particularly natives. Okay. Um, what's the situation? Are you losing things in your garden to we Phytophthora? Are, yes. Um, and have you had it identified as Phytophthora? Well, actually we haven't. I'm just assuming that that's what it is. What What have you lost? Um, some acacias and a banksia and a beautiful... Um, uh, 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 oh. <laughs> so a banksia and... Um, uh, I mean that... banksia yeah, banksia would and, be... And, mm. um, Mirabush, of all things. Really? And, oh. and, and a grass tree, a beautiful grass tree. It flowered. A grass tree, thought, yeah. This is wonderful. But what was really happening was that the thing was dying. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, there's things that naturally occur in boggy areas, um, are generally phytophthora resistance. So a bunch of calistamins. Um, uh, yes, we lost uh, a too. Yeah, uh, I killed a calistamin too, okay. Um, but th- there are a bunch of calistamins which are which are more phytophthora res- resistant. Um, there's a you know, banksia roba, and some of the boggy banksias will will tolerate, um, you know, the, a presence of phytophthora. The, there's um, there's some things that you can do to, to kind of minimise the effect of, of phytophthora. I mean, it is a, 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 a serious pest and a serious pain. Um, but application of organic matter, and there's, a, there's an actually a, a, an, an organism that you can add to your soil called trichoderma. Um, it's another fungi. Which is another fungi. Ah. So what you, end up, what you can often end up with, with phytophthora is it's an antagonistic fungi. And by adding trichoderma, which is an aggressive fungi, it, it tends to check um, or it has the capacity to check um, uh, phytophthora. They mm. use it in grape. They use Using it in grape, grape yeah. detritus and yeah, yeah. minimisation. Ah, yeah, so it's yeah. like the fungi that fights other it's fungi. A, it, exactly. So ah, it's, it's quite a fantastic. A, so mm. you know, trichod- and it's commercially available. Um, you know, so I'd be looking at maybe inoculating some of your soil with trichoderma. That'd be worth a shot as well. And you said the organic matter is that to increase the biology Life. in the soil? Yep. Right. Yeah. It's so organic matter. You have more soil diverse, more soil flora biota. Yep. Yes. Uh, and phytophthora sits there as an an organism, but mm. not the antagonistic one, which is dominating. Right. So, you know, so you, it, it is about trying to get soil ecology working. Yep. Yep. Ideally, lots of leaf litter. Lots of leaf litter. Lots of organic matter. Chook manure is really good. Oh. Um, okay. You know, an application mm. of chook manure. Uh, chicken manure um, oh, mixed right. in with yes, okay. with, with uh, wood mulch and stuff like that. Are, you know, really. We've got chooks. Um, that's proven to be quite quite effective. There were some trials done at the Cranbourne Garden years and years and years ago of adding organic matter to areas which had known phytophthora and uh, um, by creating more soil biota and some more soil flora, phytophthora can sit there but not be necessarily mm. antagonistic. Mm. Julie, if you say you've got chooks, just don't put on the chook manure um, fresh. It's got to be aged. Yes, yes, fair enough. Yeah. Sometimes the chooks put it on themselves, though, Jill. As true. They, um, as they walk around the uh, true Pam, as they walk around. It depends the, um, if they're free range. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to pick it up if they put it there. That's fine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like uh, quite a few good strategies there, Julie. Yes, thank you very much. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to crack open a, a website here, Julie. If you could just bear with me for a tick and yeah. see if there are some lists here that. Um, uh, that, that we could have a look at. It's certainly one of those. I mean, I, the heartbreak of seeing something go backwards. You know, some often as gardeners, you get asked, "Oh, you know, what's wrong with this plant?" And you get a list of 
symptoms, you get a list of situations, and you can't necessarily say what's going on. And I can imagine it's very, very. But if it's a whole area of very plants, difficult yeah. to watch things go backwards, frustrating, go backwards yeah. uh, over time. And yeah, great strategy to try and find things that are resistant as well, Julie. I mean, that's just the right spot for the right, you know, right plant for the right spot yep. is always the exactly, case, isn't it? exactly. Yep. Yes, um, not finding a list, but I'll persist. If you if you want to listen to the, I'll, I'll see if I can crack up in a sign. And you're, you're specifically looking at native plants um, to, to replace? I'm sorry? Could Would you be specifically looking at natives to, that, that have phytophthora resistance? To, yes, yeah. Okay, well, look, I'll continue to have a bit of a look okay, here. Okay, and, and we'll, if, we'll mention it if he, John if, finds if we, anything. If we can crack open a list, yeah. And interestingly, I think there are some little kits you can get to actually test for different organisms, aren't there? there I remember there in the you can get a little phytophthora test kit to really sort of decide Make if sure it is that's or the isn't. problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know um, Virginia just snuck in from the outside line and said she's got friends who've tested and identified it in Hawthorne. Okay. So no doubt it exists. Um, well, it probably it's, exists in our environment a lot. But it does, It's yeah. not necessarily the dominant That's um, right, so we don't realise it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. 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 that's right. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Yep. Okay, mm. so uh, we'll move on, Julie, but uh, keep listening. We might come back to phytophthora-resistant plants. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. John Arnott, who's, who's such a modern man, <laughs> he brings his laptop in. I've yeah. got a piece of paper that I ripped out of the you know, Melways on the way down. <laughs> but uh, you with your, your laptop. Not having much luck so far. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, let me just hang in there for a second. We've had a listener ring in just to uh, continue the talk about uh, the Kyneton Caravan Park, Millie, mm. oh, um, saying that uh, where the caravan park was, they're actually um, – they've got a, a plan uh, to make it a community park that's going to reflect the area's history and stories. Oh, that's so there you go. That'll be good to have that'll a look That'll be that. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, look, it's a great, great space and, um, yeah, I'm excited to watch it sort of happen over there. It's, it's clear that, you know, with the tree removal, there's some stuff starting to ha- really happen, you know. The, the wheels are they're getting a bit of traction, so they hopefully are. some things will happen over the next few years. Yeah, it's good. I'd like to give a hand. Yeah, for sure. Get on the shovel. Yeah. Don't mind that. Join the friends Got a lot of plumbing to fix first, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> once I've dug those trenches, I can dig some holes. <laughs> okay, next up we're going to go to uh, Fermi and Reedsdale. Good morning, Fermi. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Fermi. Now, uh, Millie, if you're going to become a local, you have to learn to pronounce. Uh, there's not two ends in chitin. It's only one end. It's chitin. 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 Yeah, no one else calls it that though. But I'll I'll take that on, Fermi. I'll keep my ear, I'll keep my ear to the ground when I'm chatting to the locals. When you become local, it's chitin. Okay. It's like Trenum. My friend, my friend calls it Kinnerton, which I still call it Kinnerton a little bit. Now they, <laughs> they've, obviously, they've obviously learned how to say it from listening to their GPS. No, she, yeah, yes. well, she, she read it. She read it. She calls Warnable Warnamble too, and it makes me laugh every time. Warnamble. We've camped in both places. <laughs> no, I, uh, I nearly took a right turn to Reesdale yesterday, but I oh. had, to, had to keep going, Fermi. But, um, yeah, I'll have some questions for you. Okay. Well, I wanted to let you know that there is an open garden in Reedsdale. Right. I think it's uh, for the. Uh, I think it's for the development of the Reedsdale Recreational Reserve Committee uh, Pavilion Project. Okay. And it's in North Reedsdale Road. Uh, it's at six three two North Reedsdale Road, Reedsdale. And it's called a day on the putting green because the people who've uh, bought this garden. 
uh, into golf, and they've actually developed a, a green at the garden. The garden was a well-established garden because it belonged to friends of ours who uh, moved out. Right. And uh, it's uh, open today only from 10 till 5. So if you're in the area, uh, as I said, it's 632 North Reedsdale Road. Just put that in your GPS and it'll find you for you. You can get a decent pie in Reedsdale too, can't you? Uh, oh, look, we have the best cafe. The rural cafe is the one of the best places there to get a decent meal and they, they cater for vegetarians and gluten-free people as well. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. So, so anyway, it's open, um, it's open for 10 o'clock and there is uh, coffee, tea and cake, cakes and scones available and there's even, when I get this, roast lamb or pork rolls for $5. Goodness oh. me. <laughs> That's worth the trip by itself. Yeah, and if you are into golf, there are five... The nine-hole putting courses, $5, includes a free sleeve of golf balls. That's three. <laughs> okay. Goodness. It's a, the, I'll just read you from the ad. It says, five acres of mature oak trees and native planting with plenty of daffodils and other spring bulbs. Uh, iris, belladonnas won't be in flower now, but um, uh, roses and much more to see. So it's a, it should be quite a good day. We I had a few years and uh, it was really looking good then and uh, since then the, the new owners have been doing a lot of work on it so it'll be worthwhile brilliant okay yeah. thanks for letting us know Fermi okay okay bye bye definitely a good day for a country drive it's absolutely nice out there. Yes. absolutely yes. now I'm delighted to say that online we have Wayne Kinraid and Wayne is the convener of the Friends of the Eltham Copper Butterfly Group good morning Wayne how are you, Pam? I'm um, well, thank you. Thanks for talking to us this morning. No problem. Now, what sparked me to invite you onto the program is the fact that there was um, an article in our local paper a couple of weeks ago um, about our local Eltham Copper Butterfly and, once again, unfortunately, the uh, population, the local population, is on the brink of extinction. Now... A lot of our listeners, I'm sure, don't know anything about uh, the Eltham Copper Butterfly. Um, firstly, can you can you tell listeners a little bit about its fascinating life cycle? Sure. So the Eltham Copper Butterfly um, is a unique species in that it's got a very um, limited range about where uh, where it flies and lives. It's got a symbiotic, what's called a symbiotic relationship with a number of uh, other species. So it's reliant on um, uh, access to a particular type of ant and it only um, can survive on small bushes of uh, a plant called uh, Bessaria spinosa. Mm. Um, Bessaria is... uh, Highly, lots of this area around in the Eltham area, but um, the butterfly needs a particular uh, size plant that also has ants' nests at the bottom of it. So the typical plant that um, Eltham copper butterflies live on um, is generally around about um, uh, 30 centimetres to a metre high, not much, not much taller than that. So would they be seedlings, Wayne? No, they're not seedlings. No? Um, they... Um, tend to be, uh, some of those plants can be quite old. When I'm saying old, I mean talking 10, 15 okay. years. They tend to be stunted by the, um, the activities of the, of the, um, the, the uh, 
larvae on the plant. Okay. So, okay. What's okay. the relationship with the ant, Wayne? Explain so the that. ant um, tends the, the larvae when, when the butterfly's in the larvae stage. The larvae um, live in a, in a nest at the bottom of the uh, Bacaria plant. Um, they come out at night to feed, um, generally in the months of September through to uh, mid-November, and then they um, pupate come out as butterflies in early December. Okay. Uh, the eggs are laid and um, in December through to uh, February, March, and then they go back into the larvae stage from March through to um, September again. They, they're dormant during winter, um, and uh, uh, so it gets too cold for them to come out at night. What happens, though, when they come out at night is that they're tended by the... the, um, the, the um, the the ants the mm. ants literally crawl over the the larvae. We're not a hundred percent sure what they're doing. We scientists think that there's a secretion that's um, put out by the the uh, larvae that's attractive to the um, to the ants. Sure. But the ants also probably um, keep uh, bugs off the larvae so they can survive in their environment. So it's a, a, shu- a sugar reward or something sure. along yes. those lines. Something. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And and there's talk that the ants actually lead them out from their their nest and back to it. That's what it looks like when so you that... see the larvae crawling out. Yes. Now, what's, what's distinctive about the... Well, another thing about the, the butterflies is they're very small in number. Lots of people routinely see what's called common brown butterflies mm. um, around in the, from um, late spring through the summer. Um, copper butterflies are nothing like that. They're very, very small, the size of an adult's um, thumbnail. Yep. And they uh, are very, very small in number. So um, typically, um, on a on a good day where the temperature is not too hot and it's not too windy, you might see at a reserve um, ten, twenty of these butterflies, but only in the reserves where the um, the butterfly is located. So, so, so when we talk about what what the butterfly needs, what what role do you think the butterfly plays in the ecology of of the place? Oh, look, I suppose the honest answer is we don't really know, mm. but it's very much a flagship for the um, overall well-being of the um, the local environment, uh, particularly the, the flora. It's a, uh, well, the, a canary in the, um, it is. In the coal mine, yeah. yes. Um, one of the problems that's been encountered over the last... So the, uh, one of the problems encountered over the last uh, 20, 30 years is that um, we haven't had this the usual fire regime in um, outer suburban Melbourne. So sure. prior to white settlement, uh, the, um, the bush would have been subject to wildfire every 10, 15, 20 years, mm. and that would have um, cleaned out yeah. the underlying vegetation. Because that's not occurring, because we're in a suburban area nowadays, uh, the, the bushes get, get overgrown. A uh, particular type of native bush called cassinia has become overgrown, mm. and that um, re- uh, affects the overall habitat, not just of the butterflies, but lots of the other um, species in the area. So particularly native grasses and orchids are affected by this overgrowth of, of another uh, native species called Cassinia. And, pres- mm. and presumably a flop of Viseria spinosa being a re-sprouter. It, you know, yeah, presumably it's interesting. It's a very, very hardy plant, mm. and yep. um, it uh, does seem to have... Uh, shoot up and yeah. um, has sort of major plants. It comes up in different nodes. It's pretty hard plant to 
to uh, kill off, quite frankly. It's a and really beautiful plant, beautiful too. Beautiful plant, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's an unusual Stunning thing. plant because it's got beautiful flowers. It's, yeah. got very, uh, it's got very, very sharp spikes. Good security yeah. hedge, yeah. I think. No, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a very distinctive the, plant. There's, the there's, popu- there's populations of the copper butterfly beyond um, the Eltham region. Is there a population at, at uh, Castle Main adjoining the Botanic Gardens? That's correct. Mm. Um, that was... Um, Butterflies were found there. Eltham copper butterflies were found there in small numbers. Um, look, I'm guessing now probably 15 or so years ago. And there's also a population up near Nil. Um, of the same species? Of the same species. Mm. Okay. Um, so there's uh, nine locations in the Eltham area, plus those further two locations in, okay. in Castlemaine and, uh, and Nil, which is where the butterflies found. It suggests that uh, decades, hundreds of years ago, there would have been many of these butterflies all over the state, but mm, yeah, um, it did, no would. longer the case. So the, the 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 sites that are located in in and around Eltham are they on crown land, or are they being managed um, to um, to manage the threats so to the species? Seven, seven of the the nine sites are um, a public reserve of some sort. So some of it is crown land managed by the Parks Victoria, okay. and some of it is managed by Shire of Newlandbig and um, Shire of Banyul, the Andels Reserve in Greensboro, and then um, there's a couple of private properties with, with butterflies on Okay. And management actions in place, Wayne, to sort of yeah, minimise the threats? Yeah, there's been very proactive management um, since 1987 when the species was rediscovered. Mm. Um, it had been thought extinct. It was rediscovered in 87 by an, an entomologist called Michael Braby. And since then, um, there's been very proactive management. The, um, the butterfly is listed under the Victoria uh, Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act. Sure. And uh, that's led to the establishment of a, um, a management plan. But I'd have, we scientists um, working with the community are still uh, learning to understand what the best way is to manage the environment mm. for this species. And um, there's been a range of techniques that have been um, tried and the, the population goes uh, through a range of cycles over the last... It was particularly affected by the drought that we experienced in the early 2000s up through until 2009 or thereabouts. Sure. And surprisingly, after the drought... Um, the butterfly became most imperiled at that point in time because um, there was a lot of regrowth post post the um, the drought, and um, that led to crowding out of the vegetation in the, the uh, flight path of the, the butterfly. It, it's complex, isn't it? Because it's, it's not very just complex. it's not. I mean, there's some some other examples up the coast of um, you know things like the Richmond birdwing butterfly in schools planting. Aristolochia vines and um, you know increasing the range of of, of that species, but yeah. the the um, the the ant association and the and the complex ecology is you know it's not I, I would imagine that's a very very difficult thing. Yes, it is to um, you know to extend the range just by planting more bursaria in schools. Um, it's for, a nice for example, idea, but it doesn't work. It doesn't no, work. Not with right. this species, uh, no. Because you've got to have the access to the the ant to the ant and and, and, and that complex and the ecology. The other plants that provide food. Um, the, there's been a big experiment um, underway and it appears to have worked so that because the population plummeted after the, um, after the drought um, uh, a, 
particular um, Parks Victoria ranger who's had a very strong interest in the, the butterfly cambiotil suggested uh, that um, the uh, land managers undertake a proactive program of um, cleaning out the Cassinia uh, okay. and with council approval and state government approval that was done and that's it was an experiment and uh, it appears to have worked in that the um, the butterfly numbers having plummeted down to literally tens uh, left um, are now back up in the in the hundreds okay well that's um, that's, that's pleasing. good that's excellent yeah it's because pleasing. of that experiment working where we've um, proactively removed um, with approval um, vegetation that was crowding out the um, the flight paths and also using a couple of other techniques um, to support the plants where the butterflies are. There's a technique called coppicing where the, you cut off the top of it that yep. promotes the regrowth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, there's been a, a real partnership between um, uh, state government, local governments and the community uh, to make sure that this uh, intriguing species uh, Mm. Mm. In, intriguing is the word. I think it's a really great mm. word to describe such a complex, Absolutely. such a complex situation. Now I noticed that that for um, other um, desirable management action plans, as put out by Department of Sustainability and Environment, one of their ideas was is to consider maybe establishing a captive colony in conjunction with um, Melbourne uh, Royal Melbourne Zoo. Is, um, is that still a, a plan for the option? future? I'm not, I, I'm not familiar with the details of that. There's certainly discussion about it. There's been um, the technique that's uh, described as translocation, mm. where they take uh, small colonies, the outlier um, plants that are in a difficult area, and um, put them into um, a different location. That's had mixed results. Mm. Um, so... Um, Look, the preference now is really trying to just focus on the... Um, the immediate environment, got. yeah. And part of the challenge is that they do move, individual colonies move over time. Um, no one's not sure why why that happens, but they have a tendency to the colony over several years. You can see them uh, shift up the hills and move along ridge tops. Mm. And I'm talking like um, 100, 100 or so metres, yeah. so... Um, they they will go where they, well, we think they go where they think conditions are better. Okay. Um, but that also means you've got to keep track of where they are and um, make sure the vegetation around where they are is appropriate. And and that the ants are present. Is it is it always the same species of of ant? Yes, or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, Tonkus. Uh, I can't remember the full scientific name, but it's a particular um, species species of ant. And is that a relatively common species? Or yeah, it is, is relatively common yeah. um, in the Alpham area, but um, once again, the, it's, there's a broader ecological issue. Uh, during the drought, um, a lot of the, the underlying subsoils got very dry, and uh, the non-tonkus ants um, prefer a bit more moisture. Okay. So that was another condition that was affecting the overall well-being of the, the butterfly. Mm. A wicked dilemma. Yes, exactly. Certainly. Tell us a little bit about the Friends Group, Wayne. So the Friends Group was created um, in 1987 after the, the butterfly was rediscovered by Michael Braby. Um, it's a, really just a, a community group, like most other Friends Groups, um, people generally who live in the local area who take an interest in the uh, both the butterfly and the well-being of these 
unique reserves that are in the area where we live. Um, there's, um, oh, I suppose, a core group of uh, six to eight people who have been associated with the Friends Group for many years. We meet every couple of months and um, uh, work with Parks Victoria and the Shire to identify priority things where we can assist. So typically, uh, Friends Group members are involved in weeding, which... Um, doesn't sound particularly attractive, but it's actually quite therapeutic getting out there oh, yeah. on a weekend and um, getting rid of the weeds that shouldn't be in there. And we do a lot of that sort of work and um, also are involved in planting uh, different species to maintain the overall well-being of the reserves. And, and on, ongoing monitoring, I think, would be... Yes, we do get yeah. involved in monitoring. Um, that needs to happen under guidance from um, scientists who are... Uh, involved in monitoring it. It is a um, a technique that people need to to learn to count, uh, particularly the larvae. Mm. And they've also got to be very quite careful. We, we have to count larvae at night, and um, so it's also a matter of knowing where you're going and not causing too much damage. Absolutely, yeah. Uh. So these reserves have, um, in addition to the butterfly, they're very special places. There's lots of um, rare orchids and mm. other rare plants in these reserves. Mm. And um, so it's about carefully managing um, what volunteers are doing too on the site. Mm. Wayne, the, the places are special, but groups such as you, um, such as your group, are also very special. And um, you know, it's uh, it's just wonderful to, to to know that there are custodians of um, you know such cryptic species. And that's, that's all we are. Mm. We're, we're we're making sure that these. Uh, species in the reserves are uh, there for future generations. Yeah, all strength uh, to your bow. We're mm. simply custodians. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure not, um, not compromised, and that's pretty hard work in the environment where they are. Yeah. If local health and people are interested in, in getting more involved, Wayne, um, uh, can they can they in some way contact uh, the yeah. Friends Group? Or yeah, probably best if people are interested to go to the Shire of Nilambic um, website. There's a listing of the Friends Groups there. Right. And some details about how to contact us. That's probably the best way to go. Okay. And Excellent. we're always looking for for um, new people who are interested in getting involved and learning about um, this, these fascinating reserves and the flagship species, the, the, the butterfly. Absolutely. Well, fingers crossed because, mm. um, yes, we, we need that butterfly to uh, to be there for generations to come. So, That's um, exactly right. Yeah, I take my hat off to to the Friends Group um, in particular for the work they're, the ongoing work they're doing. Yep, you bet. Thanks for talking to us this morning, Wayne. Delighted. Thanks very much. Good on you, Wayne. Bye. It is is so often that uh, these pieces of the puzzle that we're really, I think, only getting a handle on now. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I was saying off air that I'd visited Cranbourne and the reason that I went down was to meet with Dr Nushka, mm. um, Rita, who's running the Orchid Conservancy down at Cranbourne. Yep. And, um, you know, the work they're doing, uh, trying to really establish, um, you know, methods for growing orchid species, terrestrial orchid species, that can only exist in the wild if they have their one pollinator, yep. if they have their one fungus yep. in the soil. Yep. You know, really trying to find all the pieces of the puzzle and... And I said to her, you know, what is it that's making this so successful? She said, we're, we're understanding the ecology. That's it. And we're trying to, they're, they're trying to isolate the fungi. You yep. know, they've got, they've got, you know, a thousand little Petri dishes with <laughs> different fungi that yes. they're trying to isolate in, in, um, in culture there. And, um, you know, if, if people jump onto my Instagram, actually, they can actually watch Nushka 
hand pollinating an incredibly rare box ironbark orchid. And Fantastic. we I videoed it with my I was walking around recording her audio, yeah. you know, interviewing her to, to write a story and and she'd said to me, oh, I need to hand pollinate these. Oh actually I need to video it because she's only got of the the wild populations, there's only a couple I think left. There's only fifteen or twenty plants in each of those and in the bush this year only two plants are actually going to flower. Have emerged, right. And wow. um because the rains came a bit late and she's got a guy up there who's going to hand pollinate them yeah. because they still don't know what pollinates this particular no. orchid. Right. No. So, you know, it's a big story, but they're going to take plants out that are flowering in the bush and sit and watch them and see if they can work out who's going to come and pollinate it. It smells like citrus. Most of them smell like rust or, right. yeah. you know, it's totally different. But, mm. um, yeah, so if you, if you want to have a look for Thrifty Gardener on, on Instagram, you can actually see Nushka hand-pollinating this orchid. Yep. And, you know, this will go to, to create seed, which then will only germinate if they get the the fungi right, the yep. soil fungi right, and um, and get it growing. And, you know, just understanding all of those layers, all those highly specialised relationships. If one of those relationships drops out, if, if the butterfly goes, what happens to the ant species? Yep. And yep. quite frankly, ants should be running the world, you know. <laughs> probably, probably doing <laughs> we, a job of it already. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, what what do we not know is happening hmm. um, in relation to all those species? And it um, it is it is sometimes it's troubling, I think, hmm. to think that people people can can grab us, but, you know, like they say, the flagship species, the butterfly, people can grab onto that. Oh, well, I want a butterfly to live. Yeah. But when you start to say, well, but then you've got to have an ant species. Oh, no, I don't like ants. And you're going you know? to have this fungi in the soil, which uh, is going to do this. Do this. Exactly. Yeah. And um, yep. all of these different pieces of the puzzle and getting people to think. It's something I've been thinking about a bit or mm. a lot this year is, is this kind of um, network thinking. I, I saw a great presentation, Alison Pulio, okay. um, earlier this year at the RBG Fabulous. talking about her work looking at fungi and that the more she looks at fungi, the more she thinks we should look at nature the way we look at fungi. Mm. And if we could... It, apply an understanding of nature being interconnected yep. and massive. Yeah, yeah and massive <laughs> um, and complex. To, yeah, and complex to the way we approach managing natural systems, mm. then it would, would be a, a really, mm. um, really, really beneficial thing. But how you get people thinking that way, I do not know. They understand social networks. Yeah. They yeah, understand yeah, yeah, yeah. networking with a computer. Sure. They understand networking for their, you know, for, for their opportunities in a career. Yeah. Well, how do we start to get people to not just see that one flower or not just see that one species yep. yes. as important? Well, we'll save that one. We won't save that one. That's right. To look at it and know that there are all these other things happening. It's about the conservation of ecological systems. Absolutely. And, How do we and, do that? And, yes. you know, it, it, we, the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act was mentioned, and that's a species yes. thing. So it's the focus is on this species and this species and this species yes. and this species. And, and, you know, increasingly with the likes of Nushka, um, it, it is becoming apparent that that in order to save a species, you actually need to secure and understand the ecological system system that supports the, 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 the species in the first instance. That's the other thing that needs to be there needs to be a lot more scientific research because we don't understand the full story no, in so many of these no. species. No, I mean, I mean, Wayne himself said we we, we don't, don't understand know. the full story of of the. The relationship between the ants and the butterfly no. and the plants and what's well, amazing, we just you know we just filmed a story about lichen. It went to air a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of years ago. That's how it feels. <laughs> um, at the at the Australian Garden uh, Mount Annan in, in Sydney, sure. they've built this incredible garden out of sandstone, historic stone, to try and culture lichen and their relatives. You know, to, to actually grow them and see what grows naturally to try and get them growing. But yeah, yeah, cool. When I researched that story six or eight weeks ago. 
there was there was a discussion about that it's you know that lichen is either a fungi matched with an algae or a fungi matched with a cyanobacteria or a fungi matched with both. Well, now they think it's two fungi. Mm. You know, even in yeah. that short period of time we're that's starting right. to see research come out, <laughs> it's like a fungi sandwich with some algae in the middle, you know, and yep. that's the only way this individual organism yep. is made up of all of these others. It's just it, you know. Oh, it blows your mind. It is. It you could just sit and it's think amazing. about it all day. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we must get to a couple of very patient uh, listeners who've been uh, waiting until uh, we'd finished speaking to Wayne. We'll go first to... To, uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Sam. How is everybody? Great. Well, well. Good, thanks. Yeah. Um, just makes makes us realise how zoos are so simplistic, doesn't it? You know, in the sense of the animal out of its environment. Anyway, um, can you hear me? Mm. Yes. Um, on Thursday, which is the 1st of September this week, um, after 730 uh, Joanne Cody is going to be talk, talking about edible weeds and she's also going to um, talk about uh, indigenous um, plants that are used for eating and I'm going to bring quite a few of those indigenous plants and um, some chickweed and nettles and things like that for people to actually see. And before that, um, Meredith is going to talk about goji berry. Okay. So it should be an interesting evening of uh, identification and and looking at um, some different plants to eat. Excellent. Yeah, okay. So that I'll just say that's at Burnley Horticultural College, Room yep. Ten, Five Hundred, Yarra Boulevard, and the Melway is forty five A twelve, and we like people to come a bit early, and if you're a, a member. You can have access to the free library. So, um, and our, now our magazine, Herb Age, is coming up six times a year, and it's in full colour. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the website is herbsocietyvic.org, org for organisation dot au. And I've also got now a Facebook page, which you just type in Herb Society of Victoria, Richmond, and it comes up. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Pam. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, Next up, we're going to Wendy, who's out in Vermont. Good morning, Wendy. Oh, good morning, everybody. Um, This is um, not nearly so interesting, this, this topic of mine. I'd like to talk for a minute about sour sob. Not so interesting, but just as it's just remarkable the year that sour sob is having at the moment. Oxalis. Yes. Is that what it is? That yellow yes, sour Yes, that is. I've got a real soft spot for it. One for pulling up the stems and chewing on them like mm. we did with kids. And the other one was because we had all one of my earliest memories in the front yard. We we're on three quarters of an acre block in Fremantle. It had come up and we had to really pick the day when my brother and I would jump in and do sour sub angels. You know, when you like lie in it. Because once you've crushed it once, you can't crush it again. <laughs> That's right. It's full, it collapses. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, it, I think you've got a very positive. Um, <laughs> look, it's a wet year. I'm afraid I can't. I was um, at my mum's place the other day, and there was a little little plastic pot with something growing in it, and it was full of sour sob as well. Is that, is that what we're talking sour sob? Sa- yes, yeah, that's, right. that's right. It's an oxalis. Oxalis. Yep, that's right. Okay. Capri. 
So I thought, okay, I'll just tip this pot up and see if I can get that sour sob out. Ah, so you're looking well, for the... Well, I couldn't... But, I mean, I know that they go down, down, down. They're not just to pour it out and good luck, goodbye to you sort of thing. Um, and I pulled it out. I could see clearly at the side of the pot, jammed up against the edge of the pot where it ha- had been growing, there was this little tiny bead, the first, the first of the little bulblets, then, you know, an inch or two down another one. It was like a string of rosary beads going all the way down to the base of the pot. And I thought, no wonder we can't ever beat them. You can't beat them by hand. It's got to be with weed killer. So then comes my question. I, I dealt with that plant, got it out, no problem. But at my place and all around my neighbourhood and I guess all over Melbourne, um, on the nature strip, it just was really taking over. And when I looked up information on how to get rid of sour sob, it appeared that normal weed and feed type of approaches would not uh, murder it. Per- mm, it's per- per- weed. So I got out the old um, zero or roundup or something, mm. and I went along and painstakingly uh, killed it wherever I could. Now there are great big brown patches, of course, in my nature strip. Mm. Is it a lawn so nature, nature strip or a, that's fine. Or the a question planted? is, do I have to mm. scratch out all that weed, you know, the dead weedy stuff, or if I can wait a couple of weeks for it to really, I don't know, hopefully rot away, which it probably won't, uh, can I just put soil over it and then reseed, or do I have to do the hard work? Is it, is it a lawn nature strip or a, or a planted one? Oh, God, it's just a, it's just a nothing nature strip. Did you mow it? All I do is mow it, yeah, mm. and I, and I usually poison the the broad broad leaf mm. type weeds, and and often it gets a bit of clover, and that's not a problem, and I I can deal with do that. You know, but this sour sob. I do you know what my advice would be? Do you want... It's cute. I, I think there are a lot of new gardeners to Melbourne. Let's not get political about this, but I think they might think it's cute, and they leave it grow. At what stage of that growing process does it then infect the whole neighbourhood? Oh, it's not. It doesn't work like that. So, but it is. It will produce seed. So if it yeah. flowers and produces seed, then so if you leave one people, go, that's where you're in yeah, trouble. People yeah, people might walk walk or gets caught in their boot. But yeah. and the one I'm talking about is actually the tall yellow flowered yes, um, yes, one that it. I was joking about. Right, green flowers. It's really cute but, and. and, and are they also buttercups? Is that the same thing? No, no. totally different family. So, different so Wendy, I'm going to I'm going to give you a bit of completely off the wall advice, <laughs> which I, I think you need to work. I think you need to lose the lawn, and you oh. need to plant something that's at least thirty centimeters deep as a ground cover, and you need to smother that thing out. Now the trouble is, I'm I'm in a, a two units on a block. So oh the, well, but then look, I, I mean, you can still could though the front unit you, people wouldn't care. You can really exhaust it. Mm. Um, because it only will grow to that that certain height. If you've got something, um, you know, that is a, a nice dense, you know, like a, a prostrate grevillea or something that's really dense, full of foliage, and yeah. grows to that sort of depth of about thirty centimeters, you can over time yeah, smother it out. Um, and actually, because okay. um, it, it might it, be the way to go, I think long term it's the way to go. But but for now. If I want to try just trying to repair that nature strip, which is brown patches all over it now, what's the get a get a steel rake, um, yep. scratch it all up, and throw some throw some seed down would be all that, right. that would okay. be that would all be right. fine. So, at, all right, at, just at make it look a point. bit better. Okay, but long term maybe some kind of um, look. I just think I mean I think you might as well have plants on your nature strip if you can. But um, yeah. long long term, I mean. <sighs> Uh, to me, weeds are just as good a habitat as grass on a on a nature strip. So yeah. if you can if you can mow that nice and high, if you just keep the seeds from forming and it, you're not spreading too much, then it's not doing too much of a disservice having some weeds in in a nature strip. Oh yeah, I don't mind terribly, that, if, but this was getting really quite out of yeah, hand, and, and I it, could see the more I let it go, the more. 
gee, they just spread so quickly. Absolutely, and then they'll die off and they will leave bare patches because they're really seasonal and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and they'll knock yeah. your, your lawn around. But, um, yeah, look, for me, the, 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 uh, a lawn that's so full of weeds that you're constantly having to spray a chemical on it, it, it needs rejuvenating in one way or another. Yeah, Maybe yeah, that yeah. is a really thorough attempt to hand-remove most of the broadleaf weeds yeah. in those peak-growing times, um, perhaps replacing it with a more robust grass species. If yep. it's contained in that verge, you could try something like a kaikuyu. Which right. would which would All really right. you know really sort of fill that you, space. That's the one that spread, it sort of spreads a bit. Doesn't it, it does, yeah. and it's on a on a on a verge. It's excellent because it's contained by concrete on all all four sides. I um, can't go anywhere, and it's very dense. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I'm with you. Yep. I yep. might try that, guys. And look, that's wonderful advice. There is. I um, hadn't phoned about that this morning. I think I'd be quite demented. I'm fed up with it. <laughs> guys, the, thank you so much, and I really enjoyed that butterfly segment. Um, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? That was a cracking. That was a cracking interview. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks again for your program. Okay, thanks, Wendy. Thanks, bye now. Bye. Right, moving on, we have uh, Tim out in Sunshine. Good morning. It's Ken. Oh, right. I just wanted to say, give yourselves 10 out of 10. Oh. A little... For our outfits, Ken? No, no, No. I can't see your outfits, (laughs) but I can close my eyes and imagine it. um, And I'd give you a star each. I'd just like to say, I listen to the... uh, all the time I listened to the science program on Radio National and they said one time if spiders died, the earth would be in big trouble. Uh-huh. But yep. if the human race died, the world would flourish. <laughs> I, I don't doubt it for a that second. That is Ken. very true, Ken. So, I often say that to people. I say, well, the plants are more important than you are and some people get a really, <laughs> well, they, they don't, don't like know. it. You know? Everything no, on this earth, no matter how bad you think it is, it's there for a purpose, except Absolutely. the human race, I think. Mm. <laughs> I think we're horrible. But anyway, some of us are all right. But anyway, thank you very much for everything. No okay. Thanks for calling. Good Ken. on you, oh, Ken. Just before I go, yep. um, we saved all the, I've probably told you, we saved all the 28 parks. Yes. And the ones that screamed out, which was the, in our area, and we won the whole lot, they're now telling us they've got no money for us to put in trees or anything so we're going to put on a little a little uh, embarrassing do very soon I good hope. idea ken sorry good idea oh yes Bit oh, of fundraising. Yes. always squeaky wheels get oil yeah it's not wrong good on you ken bye well, the the tall weed gets round up. <laughs> or cut and tall oxala syndrome. <laughs> That's what we should call it. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we're going to Alan, who's in Heidelberg. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Pam. Um, I wanted to talk to the um, the flippy gardener there. Haven't heard it for a while on um, 3CR. I know. I know. I'm. Uh, I'm You've been doing here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, I know. Um, Millie, um, coffee grounds. Yes. Um, I've been scrounging like you scrounge, Good. and I've been putting more over the garden. And um, I know it's partly acidic. I've done a pH of around about five. Oh, okay, um, good on you. And um, I know it's good for killing off the slugs and smell the MI seedlings. I don't believe that works, but go on. But I've, I've actually did. Did it and work? It worked, I, I, I tried around a few of my kale plants and it knocked a few of them off. I oh, okay, really good. good. But anyway, um, the question is, um, um, how much would I put on and the long-term effect? What do you think about the long-term effects oh, I think it's, of it? 
think it's fine. It's the sort of thing you're just sprinkling on, on the surface. I mean, if well, you I'm were... dumping bags of her arm around the plate and sprinkling around it mm. into my compost as well. Yeah, mix it into the compost would yeah. be my thought. It's, it's, it's reasonably acidic, as you said, so long-term it can build up the acidity. I believe it has quite a bit of nitrogen in it too. Um, and do you know there's a great story we've filmed coming up for Gardening Australia in a few weeks, and I know that Josh has written an article about it for the magazine that correlates in a, in a month or so. There's a couple of young guys in, in Fremantle who are grabbing the coffee grounds from the local cafes, taking it back to a shipping container, mixing it with straw, inoculating it with oyster mushrooms. Cool. And they've got a commercial operation on their on their hands, and they're actually setting up in Melbourne too. So it's it's a really good substrate for growing oyster mushrooms. Fantastic. And and the, the the thing that's so amazing about it is that if they pick it up on the day that it comes out of the coffee machine, it's already pasteurized because the hot water's run through it. Yeah, so sure. they can actually just go it's straight sterile. back. It's sterile. Put it straight into their mix. Put the put the uh, oyster mush. Anyway, so I don't know if you're up for that. I'm thinking about doing that later too, Alan. But <laughs> I need I'll I need a clean that. area, and I don't have one yet. But um, yeah. no, but no, no I, look, I, I think I, it's I, fine. I I find it's useful sort of um, adding a bit of um, body to my soil. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I guess it would, would have drainage. Look, I think anything is fine in the compost. Like, I will compost anything. Um, you know, I, I probably – I've chucked the odd dead rat and dead possum in, you know, in the compost. But as a rule, I probably wouldn't put meat in, in most of my systems because they're pretty simple and yeah. cold. Yep. Um, but really anything, as long as it's not 100% coffee grounds, you'd be fine. If it's 20% coffee grounds, I think that would be fine. Mm. Diversity okay. is the key. Because I'm, I'm actually using it for my, um, for my strawberry patch because they like a bit of um, the city. They do. Yes, they do. Yep. Good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what I take like with the uh, expert. No, I'm, I'm an expert in scavenging <laughs> things. I don't know if I'm an expert in, uh, oh, in no, the scientific you, you, compound. You tell a good story anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. It is amazing what people work out you can do with things, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. these young guys, they're definitely, they've had offers to come over here. I think one of them's moved to Melbourne now, so they're going to set up here, and they're literally riding their bikes to collect the grounds, back to the shipping container, get it going, and then they take the mushrooms back to the cafes, you cool. know, as, yep. a, as a product. So a really good, simple Brilliant. setup. John? I've got some Phytophthora. Plants. I was about to, a yeah. listener's phoned <laughs> in as well. I thought you were well. looking a bit right. off colour. <laughs> <laughs> the listener's phoned in to let you know that page 169 on the Encyclopedia of Australian Plants, oh, Volume 1. Is perfect. that what you've got? Uh, no, but that's a really, really good place there to go. There is a list of phytophthora-tolerant plants. There is, yes. Volume 1, in because, there. you know, volume they started volume, volume 2. They, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they went back and wrote Volume 1. So. That's right. That's the perfect That's the perfect reference, so if, okay. if, you, if you could get a hold of that. But just quickly, yep. just to go through a few things here, there's, there's a, a, a few acacias. Anigazanthus, so kangaroo paws. Okay. Um, there uh, you go. A, particularly the... Well, no, Flavidus and Manglesii, Rufus, yeah. wow. so Astartias, so they're nice little yep. Myrtaceae flowering um, Australian plants. Grasses, just generally speaking, grasses are mm-hmm. uh, almost completely and Phytophthora. Grasses are all great um, habitat for mycorrhizal fungi too. Indeed. Yes. So the so more grasses you got, yep. the more chance you've got of pushing that Exactly. You're going to get a variety of Getting, getting yeah. a biota. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, Dianellas, so yep. strappy monocots yep. uh, and flowering monocots. Uh, there's some Callothamnus. Uh, so the half-sided nettle bushes, um, a bunch of colitris, um, many many eucalypts, but they might may not be they might be too big. There's some hibertias, a range of hibertias, oh, the guinea flowers. There you go, Millie. About. 
uh, <laughs> talking about earlier, uh, hyperkalemias. Oh. Um, there's heaps of stuff. Leptospermums. Okay. Few, there's a bunch of leptospermums. Lamandras, melaleucas, unsurprisingly. Mm. So a range of uh, melaleucas, um, phytophthora resistant. Patasonias, again, little flowering monocots. Uh, Poas, tylotus. Etc. 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 Stylidium. There you go. Lots of wow. Lots of, um, so that's that's all in the layers too. You got big stuff, little big, stuff. Yep. yep. Great. But absolutely right. Uh, page one fifty. One twenty nine. One six nine. One six nine of a cyclophilia <laughs> for growing Australian plants has a, a volume a, one. Has a terrific list. Ring Roger. He'll read it to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only you know it off I'm by heart. Yeah, he would too. <laughs> so um, yeah, that would be a great and and if you. You know, don't have access to the book. You'd have, you might be able to the go, down, go down to the library and photocopy that page. Yep, yep. that would be a terrific place to start. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thanks, there Pam. we go. That's, that's no, a no. Good that, on you. Thanks to the listener who phoned in with that. Um, we've got one more. One more query. This is Millie. This one's for you. I can just see you doing this. <laughs> a listener has called in. She's got a packet of mixed flowering seeds. Right. Yep. Um, in the mix is chrysanthemum, chrysanthemum tricolour. Right. Right. She wants to know what the particular chrysanthemum seed looks like. No idea. So that she can pick them out from the rest of the other seeds. I would never do that. Uh, you, you, you know me so. I do not have time. I'm, I brought, I brought in seeds that I sowed out of my cupboard five right. years ago, and I've been saving and getting a good crop out. I'm way, way too lazy to do that. Um, chrysanthemum seed. Now, chrysanthemum seed. I think is it is it similar to a, a calendula seed? Is it a little bit? Larger and um, we're looking at images here. Would you, yeah. Does it? She wants to know is it black, white. Know. Oh, any I, descriptions you can give? Well, I okay. think Google would do better at this than probably John and I. I would imagine it's it's a reasonably large seed. Um, yes, I would have thought. But um, it depends what else is in there. It depends. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We don't know. The, the images we got on the web. It's elongated and and he- quite heavily ribbed. Yep. Right. Yeah. So they're not going to be very big chrysanthemum seed, but but uh, elongated rather than round, so um, uh, oval oval shaped and ribbed. Okay. That seems um, to be consistent. All so what? A bit like an elongated nasturtium seed? No. It looks no. more like lettuce, like a, or but it's like an akin, isn't it? It's so an akin. Yeah. Um, okay. Look, this is a tricky query. Yeah. I'd be more incur- inclined to just sow them and then. Sew them in a tray, and then if you want Select to prick out, out prick out, because you'll you'll know by the time they're sort of at their second or third seed leaf. That's um, a good I idea. You'll know which ones are which. Most yep. likely quite divided. Yep. It'll look quite distinct. But yep. yeah, that is um. Or just go and get a packet of chrysanthemum seed. Yep. And so and give away the other packet yeah, to someone else. That, that yep. I think you could use your time better. I'm just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll be elongated and ribbed. Yes. That, that's pretty consistent. Did you hear the puppy's just reaching her capacity of being a good girl? That's yeah. pretty good, that's I think. Oh, look, she's, she's <laughs> nearly held out to the end of the program. <laughs> she's she's under Pam's legs now. Yeah, she's paying me a little visit. <laughs> on the march. Um, I was just thinking, Pam, you know, we've spoken about succulents this morning. We've spoken about herbs this morning um, with the, the, the Herb Society call in and the, I just thought I should talk about this little plant because I've picked flowers off and if I pick flowers off I don't want to do it for nothing No, no. But little little plant that I picked up when I was looking at a wholesale nursery a couple of years ago and the, and the grower tells me he doesn't grow it anymore because no one bought it Right. Um, oh. So it was Boomeroo were growing it and um, it was going into some of the Bunnings stores but yep. it's a little North American succulent plant from Subalpine California Lovely. Um, it's beautiful called 
called Lewisia. Um, yeah, just a beautiful little plant. I'd never seen it before, and there I was no. standing in a glasshouse of it. So I grabbed a few different colours. I've, I've in my hand, I've got um, you know beautiful yellow, beautiful white, and a beautiful sort of burnt orange with pink sort of centre. I've also got a bright pink one, um, but it's just a little rosette forming um, succulent. It hasn't really gone beyond about ten centimetres for me, um, and then produces these just absolutely stunning, They're gorgeous They're little star flowers. Beautiful. And um, look, I just think it's a great little plant. I had this growing in a an old fridge tray, so I've got these beautiful old sky blue fridge trays mm. out of you know the bottom of a freezer pack of an old fridge, um, and I had it growing on the shed roof because the bungalow I was living in. Overlook the shed, <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> right, up you go. Got to do something, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and it's just been a really, really robust little plant. Um, in summer, I pulled it down and put it in a spot where it just got watered with everything else, a little bit of shelter, but um, just a fantastic little plant. And the herb reference is that I think it was a traditionally used plant in North America True, right. for toothache. They okay. call it bitterroot, but um, okay. you know I'm not going to eat the roots. I'm no, just no. enjoying the flowering plant. But a fantastic little plant, um, and uh, and one that I think you could grow easily from seed. Yeah, certainly one that I think will take a little bit of frost. I'm confident it'll take a bit. I'll probably drag it up against the house in the in the coldest part of the year. But it's, um, it's quite waxy and quite a thick leaf. Yeah, yeah. it's just a lovely little plant that um, you know, no matter who walks into the garden, they sort of you know, it's not one that you see a lot, I suppose, no. but um, one that I think is worth tracking down. How do you spell Louisia? Louisia is L E. W I S I A, and I think the uh, species name of this one is cotyledon, okay. um, which just is referring to its very simple sort of rosette, cotyledon like yeah. 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 leaves. Yeah. yeah, and it's in the Portulaca family, yep. so it is, it is a true succulent. Yes, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah lovely thing. Lovely. John, we've just got time. You've brought in a couple of bits and pieces Look, too. I've brought in three plectranthus from my garden. And I think plectranthus are a, it's such a cracking group of plants. Oh, it is. For, um, people who don't have a frost. For, for people who yes. don't have a frost. And that's probably, <laughs> I that's, can't grow it. No. You can't grow it? Too no, frosty. too frosty. Um, so I've got, I've got uh, uh, two species of exotic plectranthus and a native plectranthus. So the little silvery one is plectranthus argentatus, mm. um, which is a common old garden plant. And Great you see it everywhere. Plant. Excellent garden plant. Um, Interesting thing I, I found out about this recently is that in nature it actually has conservation significance. So oh, right. it, it's quite vulnerable in the wild. Common as where all is it from? North Queensland. So right. it's a it's a Queensland, but it grows uh, beautifully in Melbourne Gardens. Absolutely, yes, yeah. yeah. Mm. Really nice silvery foliage. So you know, plectranthus are a good group of garden plants for non frosty areas. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've taken a, a, a nice little cutting that I. Got on across this console from Roger actually. Right, okay, okay. Up to yeah, I'm going to have to bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the garden, and I'm keep looking at it. I've got to get to the house. I'll take you back. Don't worry. <laughs> and I've just brought in one of the apacris, the apacris oh. purpurescens, which is, and the apacris are absolutely hitting their straps at the moment in the yes. um, in in, in mm. the bushland. This is a nice. Um, uh, purple, quite spiny, uh, uh, leafed thing, quite, quite, quite a sharp thing. But uh, and you know, wonderful the way the flowers, the tiny little flowers, are actually held so closely on that stem into the stem. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah clasping is sort of surrounding the stem. So yeah, a bunch of apacris are, are doing their thing at the moment in, in the bush. The apacris impressor of the pinkies, which is often which white, which is our our <laughs> emblem, which is our emblem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just a yeah, it's a lovely time to be out in the bush looking at it um, really is. At, at wildflowers and a great time. To 
to be in the native garden. Mm. So. And I think it, most, you know, the, there's a lot of shows that will be coming up, as you said, garden shows more generally, but I know that the Anger down in Anglesey, the Wildflower shows oh, mid-September down there is, yes. is, I think it's the 17th and 18th this year. Okay. Um, just a wonderful place to go. The Pomonal show will P- be coming up P- down P- at the Grampians, which is, I've still not been, but it's reputedly the best Australian plant show yeah, just yeah. about in the whole yep. of the country. So, And I think they're focusing on Goodeniaceae this year. Oh. So scavolas and... Yeah. Yes. Goodenias and okay. um, such things. I think the focus is on Goodeniaceae. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Fantastic. The, but the Pomonal show is a ripper. And I'm yes. heading to central Queensland next weekend. Well, Are you? <laughs> so and I'll have some stories to tell about w- that. Is this work or play? Nah, it's a week off. But, yeah. you know, I'm a nerd, so <laughs> I go to a nature reserve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, lots lots to report back, no doubt, next time uh, I see you all. Absolutely. Yeah. And when do you do your big bike? Trip. Oh, look, we've got one planned for in um, November. We're heading to uh, northern Thailand okay. on the tandem. Yes. Yeah, so it'd be, it's really, going to be, it'd be really nice. A real Do the locals point and laugh a lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's actually <laughs> just such a beautiful thing because, A, they don't see western faces. Yes. B, yep. they don't see western faces on push bikes. Yep. But on a double bike. <laughs> see, on a t- <laughs> double bike. <laughs> Everyone wow. want to come and have a look at it. You're going to be a celebrity. You. It, it's fun. It's just kids running. It's a joyous, it's a really joyous, <laughs> joyous thing to do. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, lots of news to come up later. <laughs> we have run out of time for yet another week. A huge thank you to the team and to Virginia and Liz who've been handling all the phone calls. We, of course, will be back next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now.